Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. All right, now, other than that, I'm going to begin with uh, a question. This is an audience participation part, and I'm going to see how much you know about the Bible. Y'all better be good. You ready? All right, so... Uh, The question that I have today is, is this in the Bible or is this not? All right? So are you ready for this? I already have some people going, oh, man. (laughs) The good news is, is you're out in a group and you're not like me standing up here by yourself, you know? So your voice can kind of fall into the crowd. And uh, and if your neighbor gets it wrong, I want you to heap judgment on them, okay? (laughs) All right, so here we go. Uh, Is this in the Bible or not? Haste makes waste. No. Okay. Very good. Good start. Good start. How about this? He who holds his tongue is wise. Yes. But do you know where it's at? Proverbs. Very good. How about this? The early bird gets the worm. I'm just throwing some things out. How about this one? Lazy hands make a man poor. Yes. Okay. Where's that at? Proverbs. By the way, totally unrelated. Do y'all know what my favorite book of the Bible is? How about this one? Do not wear yourself out trying to get rich. Is that in the Bible? It is. It's in Proverbs. I'll just go ahead and tell you. (laughs) A stitch in time saves nine. Is that in the Bible? No, it's not. A quick-tempered man does foolish things. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. How about this one? Waste not, want not. All right. Y'all are doing so good. A penny saved is a penny earned? Nope. How about this? Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Yes, that's actually in there. Uh, Cleanliness is next to godliness. (laughs) It should be. My favorite book of the Bible is First Opinions, and I just quoted from it. (laughs) All right, so why why did I start like this? Uh, One is to get your brain pumping a little bit, right? You did great, by the way, hundreds all the way around. Um, And I don't think that we have to indict any of our neighbors. That's good. But I start like this because sometimes, isn't it true, you you have to actually unlearn some things? Isn't it true? Uh, isn't it true that there sometimes they're just things that are kind of the received wisdom that's out there, uh, and then somehow or another we kind of make it try to fit what the Bible is saying, and then you look a little harder and you go, hold on, the Bible actually didn't say that. Where did I get that from? Sometimes it's from our culture that we kind of infuse cultural beliefs and practices, and it just becomes commonplace to us. It's just part of the flow of what we do. It becomes normal, and then it becomes a part of the received wisdom. And then when it's a part of the received wisdom, you kinda, you're not even questioning it anymore. Did God actually say this? Is this actually in the Bible? We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, and Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth, basically trying to say, you guys need to be really careful, because what you're doing is taking a lot of what the culture is saying, you're infusing it into both the beliefs and the practices of the church, and it just doesn't fit God. And so that part has got to go. 
What he's trying to do basically is to instruct them in these things. Does that make sense? That's why I began the way that I did. So what are some of the things that were going on in this church that Paul goes, hold on, it's common to you, it just isn't biblical. Well, there were a couple of things. One is the way that they understood wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, to the Corinthians, it was having kind of this rhetorical flair. You, you really were an excellent speaker. You could persuade people. It was all about the art of persuasion. But for Paul, he says, no, actual wisdom is the cross of Jesus Christ and that you put your, your life in line with it. That's the characteristic of a wise person. In, in 1 Corinthians, they talk about the mature. Well, the early Greek philosophers, they had the mature, these were the brilliant people. They, they had disciples that would, they, they would take under their wings and they would find there were some people that could really discover deeper truths and as they advanced in it, they could go even deeper and deeper and deeper. But for Paul, he says, well, it's for those that are actually following Jesus. He, he even gives a correction to the church in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, some of you are infants in the way of Jesus. Now, the philosophers then had two categories. You had the mature and you had the infants. So he's basically making a play on what their culture knew about. And he goes, but we're going to make an important correction here. He says, some of your infants in the ways of Jesus. Now, here's what he means. Some of you are actually really smart when it comes to doctrine, but you're incredibly unwise with your actual life. You're not mature. You just have information. So it gives a correction to the church. Another thing that was floating around them, was parts of the, the Jewish uh, group that were there, is that they had this belief in two ages. There was an age that they lived in, which was the present age, and then they had another age, which was the age to come. And they believed that one day the Messiah would show up and he would usher in the age to come. So to speak, the earth would be done, it would be restored. But what you find is Paul says, well, kind of, but we gotta make some adjustments here. Because what you see with Jesus is, he is the promise of the kingdom of God who actually came to us. It's not that he stopped the show and said that it's over. Instead, what he did is he brought the kingdom of God to us and then he hands it off to those that are following him and says, we want the world to experience the kingdom of God now, even though it's not fully happening just yet. So a little bit of a correction was needed there. They believed in what were called mysteries. And by the way, there are plenty of mysteries out there, don't get me wrong. I mean, was there a shooter on the grassy knoll? Was there? How many of you say yes? When JFK was assassinated, how many of you are too scared to answer that question right now? Was there a shooter on the grassy knoll? Can I see those hands? All right, we got some. How many of you think, no, it was Oswald, let's see those hands, and nobody else. All right, we got some, there you go. See, it's mystery. But see, with the Corinthians, when it came to a mystery, what they believed was something a little bit different. You had all of these cults in Corinth, and they believed that what you would do, there were these sacred rituals that were very private, they were very hush-hush, and they would go in and they would practice these rituals. And when they practiced the rituals, they would gain a new understanding that was meant to be private. And uh, so to speak, you would, would kind of grow in wisdom and the practice through the rituals. And Paul says, no, actually, when you look at what God says, when God talks about a mystery, it was something that you once didn't understand, but now he's revealed to you. It's not a mystery anymore. And he says, the greatest mystery has been revealed in Jesus Christ himself. 
And then the other thing that they were trying to get clear on is what it meant for something to be spiritual. What, what does that mean? To them, it was kind of this split between the spiritual world or reality and the physical world that you inhabit. But for Paul, it was that you're meant to be reconnected with the living God through the Holy Spirit of God. So you see these trends in culture that kind of jumped into the church. It became, so to speak, the received wisdom. And Paul says, yeah, the problem with the received wisdom is it's wrong. They did it, and did you know we do it too? I actually threw you some easy questions there at the beginning, just so you know, all right? Uh, But we do the same thing. And so as we open 1 Corinthians 2, we're gonna start reading in verse six to 16. Let's see if we can unpack this a little bit and see what Paul wants to tell us today. He says, yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or the rulers of this world. By the way, we're not even sure who he's talking about when he talks about the rulers of the world. He could be talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. He could also be talking about spiritual realities like the, the, the demonic. You know, the demonic is described as, you know, the prince of the powers of the air, the rulers of the world, as Paul talks about in Ephesians. This is a real, we're not actually sure. He says, but I don't talk about this who is soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world haven't understood it. And if they had, they wouldn't have crucified our glorious Lord. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, and he quotes Isaiah, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit, for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. Here's what he's basically saying here in verses 10 and 11, and I'll put it in the form of a question. Who knows your thoughts if you haven't revealed them? I mean, have any of you, and let me talk to the married folk for a second. How many times have you gotten frustrated, husband with your wife or wife with your husband, because there was something that wasn't communicated, but there was still an expectation? Have you ever had that happen before? Uh, You wanted the yard done. You never actually communicated get the yard done today because there are people coming over that you didn't know that they were coming over. Have you ever had that happen before? And then you realize, you go, man, we we sure were jumping all over each other. And then you look after a while and you go, you never told me that. And you're like, oh, have you ever had that moment before in your marriage? If you've been married, the answer to that is yes, and you know it. You know it. We all do it. Things that we fail to communicate. That's why I asked the question, who knows your thoughts if you haven't revealed them? I I don't, good grief. I don't know what's going on in Wendy's mind most of the time. She's gotta reveal this to me. Wendy doesn't know what's going on in my mind a lot of the time. I need to reveal those things to her. But when I do, guess what? She can understand something more deeply about me because I've communicated it to her. And Paul says, This is exactly what God has done through his spirit and in Jesus Christ. Ray Stedman gave a good example. Let me share it with you. He said, notice how the apostle first underscores here the spirit's knowledge. No one understands the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him. Here's what he says. Have you ever tried to talk to your plants? I have not. He said, we're told that plants can respond to our moods and reflect our attitudes. Some of you, by the way, now know why your plants are dead. 
I'm kidding, okay. Here's what he went on to say. He said, I know a woman who even prays over each plant. I don't know what it does for the plant, but it probably helps her a great deal. But it's evident that plants do not talk back. Life is constructed at various levels. The higher can take hold of the lower, but the lower cannot reach up to the higher. He said, we have plant life, we have animal life, we have human life, then angelic life, then divine life. The higher can reach down to encompass the lower, but the lower cannot reach up to the higher. Here's what he said, and that's what Paul is trying to tell you. Though no animal can reach into the realm of human relationship and and converse with us, other human beings like ourselves can. And it's the exact same way when we talk about God. The higher can reach down to us to explain things, but on our own, we don't have the capacity just to jump up and say we get it. We don't. He has to come to us. And so Paul says in verse 12, he says, and and we've received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us, all these mysteries that he's just revealing and revealing so that we can know him. It's the higher reaching down to the lower. He even says in in, in chapter two, verse 12, that he and his fellow apostles and his fellow Christians have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. He indwells you. He indwells you. Now think about that. The Holy Spirit, which is not like the force in Star Wars, by the way, but a person. So just like I can talk with Wendy, person to person, Wendy can talk with me, person to person, you have a divine person that indwells you that can talk to you. That's amazing to me. And the fact that it wants to blows my mind. Those who have been united with Jesus Paul says, and our believers in him have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them personally. You have not been left alone in the journey. Let me give you an example. How many of you saw the movie Titanic? I know that was a little bit of an older one, but man, what a huge deal it was, right? Uh, The movie Titanic, one of the biggest box office successes of all time. One of the sparks, just so you know, which led to that movie was that the Titanic was actually found at the bottom of the ocean. Now, even though we knew approximately where the Titanic went down, the ocean was so deep and dark to us that we couldn't see where it was. And because of the cold and the pressure, it was also dangerous for people to try to even go down there to, try to even find it. So what they used to find the Titanic and, and other ships, by the way, um, are small remote-controlled submarines with cameras and special equipment that were attached to them. And the submarines, just so you know, they were able to establish a relationship with the depths of the ocean floor so that it could see what was there, things that had never been seen before. They also, by the way, have a relationship through electronic signals with those that were on the surface. And because of these relationships, they were able to give the message to those on the surface of what existed in the depths. And that's the way the Holy Spirit works with us. It can relay to us what's in the depths. That's a beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit of God. And so what Paul says in verse 13, he says, so when we tell you these things, we don't use words that come from human wisdom. 
Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. These are people who aren't spiritual. He says, it all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others for, and he quotes again Isaiah, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? And he says this, but we understand these things because we have the mind of Christ. How essential is it that God talks to you so that you can understand who God is? And Paul says, you would never comprehend God if God didn't. You would never get it, and you would never know where to start. But God in his graciousness and goodness stoops down and says, I want to reveal some things about myself to you. So despite his best efforts, uh, there's a class of men who will not receive the message of the Spirit. They just won't. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He refers to the natural person in chapter 2, verse 14. And that basically means the man without the Spirit. This is the person that isn't interested This is the person that isn't listening. This is the person that is resistant. It's not that the Holy Spirit isn't communicating. After all, he said, God has revealed something. The the mystery is unveiled. It's been through Jesus Christ. But you have those that hang into what is called the natural man or the natural person. They go with what is their gut. They go with what is, well, it's what they've been all along. He says, and they stay there and they push back to what the Holy Spirit has been communicating. In other words, It's not that the information isn't there, it's that the information isn't received. I was thinking about this over the course of this last week. Uh, How many times did I do this as a child to the information that was being revealed by my mom and my dad? And the answer was, actually quite often. Jeremy, don't do that. Well, now that you said that, I kind of have to, (laughs) all right? It wasn't a lack of information, it was a lack of reception. And that's what Paul is trying to say here. I mean, he quotes Isaiah 40, 13, and then makes a statement concerning all believers. He says this, we, the believers, we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Having the mind of Christ means this. It means we now share his plan, we now share his purpose, and we now share his perspective, and we all have it. All followers of Jesus have it. You took an old mind, pulled it out, and a new mind comes in. A new way of seeing life. It it reminded me of this, I was thinking of this movie, The Matrix, which by the way was ripping off of a guy named Plato, but whatever. So you have this guy named Neo. And Neo, uh, you know, Neo is the guy that's supposed to overcome the bad guys, so to speak. I'm putting it in crude terms, but it is what it is. Now, borrowing from Plato, who wrote the allegory of the cave, Plato talked about people that were born in shackles and chains. The the only world that they knew was this world that was in a cave. And behind them was a fire. And as they looked ahead, they would see shadows that would basically flicker on a wall. And because that's all that they had ever known, they thought that that's all that reality was. They would just see the shadows on the wall. However, there were people that would come from the outside. They could come and cut the shackles from the people's hands. And as they would break from the shackles, they could get out of the cave. And as they walked out into the cave, they could see the sun. 
and the sun would shine a light on all of the reality that they had never experienced or seen before. After all, all they had ever known were the shadows before. This must be all that there is. But the shackles get broken, and as they ascend up, they see the sun and a whole new reality that was there before. And here's what Plato went on to say. When a person is delivered from that kind of bondage, they can't help but go back down into the shadows to free others from it. That's what Neo was in the Matrix. Because eventually what happens is he flies up, he gets above the clouds because in the world of machines, it's always dark and dreary and controlled by evil people. And he flies up above the crowds and he sees reality for what it is. And while he's there, boom, he goes back down. He says, because we're gonna deliver these people from the bondage that holds them back. And it's all that they've ever known. What Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter two is that was you. All you ever knew before Jesus was shadows. And there was so much more to reality that you'd never thought about and that you had never experienced, but the Holy Spirit of God sweeps down and says, I'm gonna reveal to you something that on your own you would have never thought about, you never could have asked about, you never could have imagined. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit of God. Ken Keithley said this, he said, you know, when it comes to us, the Bible paints a pretty bleak picture of the human condition. The fall, that was Adam and Eve in the garden, the fall affected every aspect of our being. Listen to this. The mind is darkened, Romans chapter 3, verse 11. The will is twisted, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And our affections are distorted, Isaiah chapter 57, verse 21. Scripture portrays us as spiritually sick in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, spiritually blind, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, and in bondage to sin, John chapter 8, verse 34. Doesn't sound good, does it? And to be honest with you, even when I have my conversations with my skeptics, my agnostics, and my atheists, one of the things that we all agree on is the world isn't right. Something is off here. We agree. It's just that's not the end of the story. So while the picture so far seems pretty bleak, there's more. Because Scripture tells us there's the hope of overcoming grace. Richard Cross, professor at Oxford University, gave an example that I want to share with you on what the Holy Spirit, I think, works like. He said, I want you to imagine waking up to find that you're being transported by an ambulance to the emergency room. It's clearly evident that your condition requires serious medical help. If you do nothing, you will be delivered to the hospital. However, if for whatever reason you demand to be let out, the driver will comply. He may express regret. He may even give warnings, but he will still let you go. You receive no credit for being taken to the hospital, but you do incur the blame for refusing the services of the medics of the ambulance that are trying to save your life. And I think that is a great picture of understanding the grace of God to me and to you. God desires that none perish, the Bible says. None. The key in all of this is not is God in here talking to you. The key in all of this is what do you do with the information that God is speaking to you? Do you receive it? 
or do you push it away? Are you going to be the spiritual person, like Paul says, or are you going to remain the natural man? Those are the choices that we make, right? And Paul says, and God will honor the choice that you make. Where are you at this morning? I'll be fair, there's sometimes, even my walk with Jesus, um, I think there are plenty of times I go more with my gut than I go with the Spirit. Is that fair? I, I, just, I just do. I do. What I can't say is that in those moments that I have honored the Lord with that kind of decision making. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. But what I'm thankful for is that I do have a Holy Spirit, that I do have Jesus in my life, that I have his word that guides me, his spirit that is my help, and I haven't been left here just to figure it out on my own. I'm thankful for all of that. But even as a believer, you all have, I still have to respond to the instruction, right? I still have to respond to the instruction. And some days are better than others. Probably today you feel similar. Is that fair? But this is why in the mornings, before I head out the door, I try to spend a little bit of time. And what I do is I try to say, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking to you. I'm not quite sure what the day has. And frankly, I don't know if it's going to be my last one. I don't know. Teach me to number my days so that I can live these days well for you. It's been a good way for me to start my day so that everything that the Lord brings to me has been portioned for him and for his glory. It's a good start. And then I go about my day. And sometimes natural man kind of kicks in. And other times, not so much. In other words, our spiritual life can be like fits and starts. Does that make sense? It can be like fits and starts. But even in that, God's grace, his presence is always there for you. But for others of you that came in, maybe you came here and you're searching. Number one, I want you to hear this. I am glad that you're here. At least you're looking. You're not indifferent. That really matters. The scripture says, if we seek Jesus, we will find him. Keep seeking. Reach out to me. I will be happy to meet with you. But here's what I want you to understand. This is what I want you to know today. And it is this, is that Jesus came to me. I didn't come to him. That while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. It's just true. I, I, can't think of anything, I can't think of anything in the transaction that Jesus benefited from, honestly. But in his goodness and his grace and his love for me, he reached out. And my friend, he is doing the exact same thing for you today. Because of his grace, because of his love and his goodness, he's reaching out to you and saying, come back home. Come back home. See, here's what we believe. We do believe that the wages of sin is death. We do. But we also believe that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We do. Isn't that an amazing thing to celebrate today? It is. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.